Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. And a good morning to everybody out there on this rainy Thursday morning. We thank God for the rain because we need rain for our plants and flowers. Uh, in order to get kale or collard greens, we have to have that rain. So we have a wonderful, wonderful overcast day here in the nation's capital. And we are talking today with Shirley Saramiento. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing just great. I'll tell everybody out there how we met. Last month, November, I think it was, I went to Cincinnati to the Cincinnati Union Cooperative Initiative, and I met Shirley out there. It was a wonderful two days of talking about how to create co-ops, what's the benefits of co-ops, looking at the Mondragon experience in Mondragon in Spain, in the Bosch region, they tell me, of Italy. I'm sorry. Did I have it right, Shirley? Is yes, it? yes, in Spain. Mm-hmm. In Spain, okay. Mondragon, Spain, came from Spain, yes. Okay. So you're telling me that you're starting a co-op? Yes. What kind of co-op are you starting? We are starting a weatherization co-op to make sure every house is weatherized, every family is warm and secure, and we do uh, uh, audits. We do uh, weather stripping doors, fixing all the drafts in the house, because if you're not warm, you're sick, and you've got a drafty house and and provide uh, energy-efficient improvements. And save some money. And save some money, absolutely. Warm, cozy, healthy, and save some money. I like that. What, what, what part of the world are you doing this co-op in? We're doing it in Buffalo, New York. Buffalo, New York. New York. Mm-hmm. Up near Canada. Yeah, I went to Niagara Falls once up that way. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Actually, we did a, a housing. We did 20. 20 or 30 houses up in Niagara Falls for the HEC program. We provided conservation and safety tips, and we told you about the subsidized program. We also have an educational component to our weatherization company to weatherize your home or replace appliances and cut energy. Now, your background, you are a, you're a writer, you're a poet, and you're actress? Um, yeah. Well, some of that. Um, I've been writing and doing that for, for 20 50 years, but my actual work is I started Urban Arts and African American Artists Agenda because a lot of places they didn't they didn't give artists a chance to develop themselves. So where I worked at, they had a small company, but then I branched out and started my own company, Urban Arts, uh, Buffalo Urban Arts and African American Artists Agenda. And then for there, my, my social work activist, I graduated from the Women and Women's Studies Department at the University of Buffalo, and I've been active at the uh, I worked eight years in the in the Peace Center doing alternatives to the military. So I've been active all my life doing, um, you know, activism and fighting for civil rights, human rights, our rights, black women rights. Okay. Mm-hmm. How you do all that? You look like you're about 40 years old. What is, what is, how do you do all that? How did I do all that? <laughs> yeah. and, you, and you look so young. I mean, hey, why a co-op? 
Well, one of the things that I remember from years ago, we had a co-op. We had a co-op here in Buffalo, and I was so interested in it because I thought that people could have invest in their own selves. And we do have a. People don't understand that co-ops are. There's different kinds of co-ops. We have a. For example, here in Buffalo, we do have a food co-op, which is very nice. Actually, one of the men, the one of the cooperative banks that deals with Buffalo, he was at the uh, Cincinnati Convention. Mm-hmm. And anyway, we talked a little bit. Um, they did a food co-op here, and the food co-op, what it started off as, you know, kind of helping all people and doing things and picking up bags and uh, bags of fruits and groceries and as a healthy item. But now, to me, my personal opinion that the one that we have now that I spoke to him about at the convention was that it got a little bougie. You know, it went kind of up, you know. And then I don't think, for me, I don't think the members get enough. I mean, you pay membership, but what do you get? You don't really get a discount off of food. You, you know, somebody, my girlfriend is in it, and she said, well, one of the girls in our co-op, women in our co-op is in it, and she said, well, you get money at the end of the year, what, $20, and then you get a chance to reinvest back in the agency of your choice. But for me, out for co-ops is investing in our own selves and generating our own money because big companies, of course, you know, don't hire African-Americans even though we are qualified. I've been to college for 20 years. And we trained at the co-op at the Turning Construction Company. We did OSHA uh, OSHA training. We did... Uh, Shirley, let me go back a minute, though, to this food co-op. And, and I want to give a couple of definitions. First off, a co-op can be any business you can think of. And this right. is for the folks out there. Shirley already knows this. So if it's owned by the people that work in the business, if they own and control the business, then it's called a worker cooperative, if the employees own it. But if it's owned by the people that uses the products or services, it's called a consumer cooperative. And examples of consumer cooperatives are housing co-ops because the people that live there own the building and they own and control it. If it's uh, some food co-ops are consumer co-ops where the people that buy the in the store, the shop in the store own it. Right. And some of them are worker co-ops and the people that work in it own it. And I've seen some food co-ops that have both worker co-ops and consumer co-ops owning it. So you can get a, a mixture. But credit unions, a lot of people belong to credit unions and do not realize they are co-ops. And it's a consumer co-op. The people that put their monies in and have their checking accounts own that business now, the reason I wanted to go back to that, to that, Shirley, is because if you're a member of a food co-op, one of the things that any co-op, this food co-op you're talking about in Buffalo, the members are the ones normally that control it. I don't know about that one in, in terms of whether it, the members are workers or if the members are consumers. So if the consumers own it, then the consumers are the ones that would vote for the board of directors. They could run for the board or vote for the board. And then they control it. So mm-hmm. I, I, what I would want to do, from based on what you're saying in terms of it's gotten bougie, normally that means the prices perhaps have gone up, the products perhaps don't everyday products, and you don't get a big return. You don't get the discounts off the food. So, the, again, the prices may be high. One of the nice things about a co-op, and I think that is the fourth principle you put money in, but if you put money in, you can also get money out. The, the seven cooperative principles, that's number three, economics. Members can, uh, contribute equally to the co-op. 
And if there are benefits like dividends at the end of the year, you get those dividends. And normally it's based on how much food you buy if it's consumer cooperative. So I would suggest to you if it's the co-op isn't going the way you would like for it to be, then get involved. Get your girlfriend to run for the board. You run for the board. And then you create the policies. That's what that's what I like about co-ops. The members, it's open, number one, volunteer and open membership. Uh, so anybody can join. It's democratic control and this economic piece. The fourth one is, is autonomy and independence. And that just says that they, the co-op has to be the ones that make the decisions on how to run it. So I heard what you said, and I would challenge you. If you, you know, you, I, I think you're absolutely right with that, but I still, I don't know, this is like I said, me personally, I think that the prices have gone a little up, and it knocks out the average person that the the actually a co-op was kind of designed for to me. You know, I mean, I, actually, one time I was in there, a lady said that, and it happened to be a white lady, she said, I wouldn't even shop here, but my husband got cancer, and I can't, and she said, I, can, I can't afford this stuff, you know, so anyway, it's got, you know, to me, it just, from 20, 30 years ago that we helped start the food co-op, that the changes, and I understand that the economy has gone up and all that, but I thought, maybe in my mind, I thought it was to serve everybody, not just a consumer group of people. Well, my challenge to you is the co-op will serve its members, and it's the members that are going to participate in it and make the decisions in it and create the policies. And if those members are on the upper income level, if those are the ones that are active and making them, then that's the members it's going to serve. I hear you. Okay, I got you. I got you. And and the way that you get it to serve you is get some people like you that have the same tastes and maybe financing economics and get in there and get on the board. Right, right. They just actually they had a board uh, thing um, for the co-op. Now you're getting back. You're saying something about bank co-ops. Now we we do have for our own cooperative energy solutions for our own co-op. We uh, put money into the cooperative bank here in Buffalo, and um, actually I went and because. Uh, Somebody said we wanted to do something to put logos to show that we um, support cooperative banking, and they told me that we couldn't use the logo. So we were kind of, our group was kind of disappointed. Said, well, we got our money in there. We can't use the logo. Mostly everybody lets you use the logo, you know. So anyway, we were thinking about that, too, you know, considering that, you know. But um, anyway, I still understand what you're saying, but... I don't know. Maybe, you know, like you say, in the high tier of the four points that you explained to me, then that makes a difference, the constituency. Yeah, it's member control. So it's what members are controlling it. Mm-hmm. Now, let's go back to your weatherization cooperative. Right. Uh, how long have, have you started the co-op? Well, no, we've been working on it for three and a half years. We just did the bylaws, and we will be get doing our incorporation papers probably in the next month. Okay. Can I ask you why it has taken you three and a half years? That seems like a long time. Yes, it is a very long time, but we started from the beginning. We started from, first of all, who we are, where we came from, and where we think we were going with it. We did an in-depth study of each person who was part of the co-op. Technical assistance came from PUSH. PUSH is uh, the big agency here. Uh, We under the umbrella of PUSH. PUSH is the big agency here. Uh, for sustainable housing, and under PUSH, they have quite a few different agencies under that, but we wanted to train. They wanted us to uh, provide us with technical assistance. They wanted us to learn every inch of from the beginning to up until today, and uh, 
So, uh, so you've been doing a lot of training. Yes, training. We trained with the HEC program. We trained with the seven highly effective people, Steps Covey. Mm-hmm. We did turning construction. We did investment banking. We did two or three retreats. We did the SBA, Small Business Association, uh, Sue McCartney and Cliff Bell, we did. And so they planned out all this, and so it was very thorough. A lot. Some people, I shouldn't say that, some people thought it took too long, but a couple of us been in there for the long haul, and it has been a very exciting and acknowledging reward for us to get the DBA and now the incorporation papers bylaws. Sure, we're going to have to take our first break. I really want to come back and talk about this training. And and I said it seemed to be a long time, but if you're doing the training, it really is not a long time. It's, and that's what I'm finding. I want to come back and talk to you about that when we come back off the break, this training, because the fifth principle of cooperative is education, training, and information. And I'm finding that's why co-ops, when they get formed, if you take the time to get the training like you've done, then they, they don't fall. They But we'll be right back. We'll get the weather, the traffic, news, and we'll be right back. Don't touch that down. 1450 WOL. Information is power. I like that motto. Um, that's WOL's motto, and it fits very well with this program because the National Cooperative Bank is providing information through this program about cooperatives. The, the thing that you must know about information, you don't get the power from information. You get the power from using information, getting the information, getting the training, getting the knowledge that you need. And if you use that information, put it to work, then you get power. We have Shirley Samiento on the line uh, from Buffalo, New York, and they're starting a weatherization <laughs> company to make sure that the houses are warm. They said if the houses are warm, if not drafts, you don't get as much sickness, and you don't pay as high utility bills. So they get savings for our economy, savings for our world. You don't need as much gas or electric. So it's best for the environment and best for the particular homes. Shirley, you, when we left, we were talking about you've taken three and a half years to get started. You're in the legal phase now. You've got your bylaws. You're incorporating. And some people think that's a long time. And you said, nope, you've been staying in there. You've been getting the training you needed to run a successful business from a lot of different people. Can you tell us some of the things that you have personally learned? Well, first of all, I learned how uh, what almost like one one person one vote to get everybody get a chance to speak. Uh, in different uh, other com- companies, everybody don't get a chance to speak. I've, like I say, I've worked thirty years in different companies, and I never had sometimes never had a chance to speak, or they only had certain people speak. So, and so let I, me just let me add to that's the second principle for co-op that's democratic member right. control, mm-hmm. and that is normally everybody has one share. You get one vote. And one of the things that's really critical here is people have to learn how to speak and talk because, again, as Shirley said, she's worked for 30 years, and you don't normally have that voice. And so, Shirley, I'm in the process of of uh, working with the employees of the company I own, a property management company, to become a worker cooperative. And we've had we've been doing it now for only nine months, and I thought this was going to be a three-month process. It's probably going to be another year or two because of the training. And it's getting me used to not where it has been because I'm the owner and 
the boss, when I would say something, people wouldn't even challenge me. Well, with the training we have, we get the challenge. We're at that point now, and now we're learning how to make decisions together. That's for me and for everybody there. And that's not easy to get done. It takes some training. It really does because it can be a risky situation for people to say things when they normally have not had a say-so. So, yeah, that's big time. Yes, because we do do a thing at the ground rules, and it's one mic, one person talking at a time, and then we have wait, why am I talking? Then we have respect others' idea, and actually D is free to pee. <laughs> e, active listening, see things from speaker's perspective, and F, stay on point, topic, stay on the topic, and then G, parking lot for issues beyond that conversation. You can put that in parking lot and put it in for another meet. So we do have some ground, and I did learn that, and I thought that was wonderful because I never learned that in the actual actual workplace. You just taught me something. I like that weight. Why am I talking? <laughs> okay. Right, right, right. You know, and then we go on to decision-making process, worker home cooperative meeting, structure decision, identify the problem, clarify and contextualize uh, discussion, diversity of ideas, perspectives and concerns, agreement, disagreement, and underlying reasons, syntheses of issues, evaluate the finished product, restate the decision, and take action. So anyway, so that's I, a that's a process for making a decision and working together, right? Okay. And so it is very difficult because we did have some ups and downs, some ins and outs, but we learned from it. So it's, lear it's learning how to work together to come up with a, a collective decision when you synthesize the alternatives. Look at the different alternatives and you go through, and I use the word analyze. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you go through and you look at every decision and you analyze, you talk about it, you let everybody have a say. And that process takes time where, like the example I was telling you, with my, with my being the owner, I would get information, make the decision, and we move. A lot of times people wouldn't move with me. Okay. Right, right, absolutely, okay. absolutely. But when you go through this process that you're talking about, then everybody have a say. You are expected to do the, the research and the reading and get in and become informed. Each individual becomes informed, and therefore they can make an informed decision down there at the bottom of that and then get into action. Yeah. I love it. And that's what we did, and then we also did the public narrative. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Public narratives? The public narrative, yes. We went through public narrative training. What's that? The public narrative training is just, first of all, it's almost like how they did a seven-minute seven presentation of Obama talking about himself, the story of self and what brought an individual to the table and what are your values and how the events in your life motivate you to want to come up with this type of work that you'll be doing. Now, the next thing is the story of us. Wait, 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 wait. I want to get this first one. I like that one a lot. The public narrative is talking about self. The story of self, yes. Okay. And okay. and it shows how well you relate around uh, the people around you, around the room. Okay. And the next story is the story of us. And it's about the challenges that we face together as a group, how the values that you hold dear will tie into the work that we all will be doing together. So it's all about, it's all surrounded by values. Yes, and then the, then they have the story of now. It's three of them, oh, creating a sense of urgency. Now, do you want to be a part of this group? If you are, are you willing to come along with us for this long haul? Mm. How to move people into action using various emotions, such as anger, apathy, fear, 
solidarity and make the person feel they can make a difference, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm almost at the loss of words because what you're talking about, story of self, story of us, story of now. How to move people to action using various emotions as frustration, apathy, fear, hope, solidarity, and self-doubt. Can you make a difference? Will you make a difference? And this is what we have to do. Shirley, who's who's doing this training? Because I would Bush. like to get it for Bush us. Bush is doing training with Bush. us. Johnny Fenderson. Johnny Fenderson. We had seven people training us for three and a half years. I can give you. I can give you push information. Because we hired a, a gentleman, uh, Jim Johnson, out of Don D A W N is Democracy at something and. They're part of the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives. Mm-hmm. The, the worker cooperatives that I said earlier, if you if you look at the normal business that gets started, an individual has a great idea. They go out and they start a business. They may get a small uh, SBA loan. They may get their friends and family to help get the money to start this business. And uh, something like 75 80% fell in the first five years. But a co-op, a worker cooperative, Normally, you get three, four, five people together, seven, eight, nine, ten, a group of people that have different skill sets. And then they've got to learn how to work together. And what Shirley is telling us is they've spent three and a half years learning how to work as individuals and what are their values and getting knowledge and how to apply that knowledge and how to get to, to get people to move together now. Not, not tomorrow, not yesterday, not mañana, but how you get people to move now. That is, that's exciting stuff. And therefore, worker co-ops with this training, with these seven principles, and we've talked about five of them. The one I like most is education, training, and information. I call it just-in-time knowledge, Shirley. You get the information you need to put into place, make choices and decisions now so that you can have a successful business. And most cooperative businesses are successful because of that. Mm -hmm. There's always an issue of finances and capital. But my sense is if you get the knowledge, you can get the capital. Absolutely. Well, this is, what have you learned about how you manage and read financial statements? Have Have you had that training yet? Well, for me, I already had my business, Buffalo Urban Arts and stuff, and the SBA, the Small Business Association, we have latched into them to show us how to keep financial records and what things are most important. Uh, Turner Construction showed us uh, a lot about construction applications and uh, money and jobs and bidding for jobs and stuff. But actually, we don't. I don't. I can't say that we actually did paperwork for the co-op because, as far as we're concerned, I think they were saying like a. Uh, what do you call it, an accountant or something like that. Push um, People United for Sustainable Housing is like our head person, agency, those are the ones who trained us, and they already, from my knowledge, have people that are already accountants and all that kind of stuff. So what we would do, what what they would do, would train us and we would kind of merge with them. Okay. Sure, we have to take our second break. If there's anybody out there that want to have a question or comment of me or Shirley up in Buffalo, you can call us in at 1-800-450-7876. We're going to take a break for the weather and traffic and news, and then we'll be right back to talk more to Shirley, who has been working three and a half years to get her business up and going. We'll be right back. 
1450 WOL. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. We're here with Everything Cooperative. You know, the National Cooperative Bank sponsors this program. Uh, I say this all the time so that you can get the knowledge that you would need to start a cooperative or go find a cooperative to either work for one or find a credit union that you could join or housing co-op. And um, NCB's mission is to help cooperatives grow by supporting and being an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, placing special emphasis on serving the needs of communities that are economically challenged, serving the needs of communities that are economically challenged. And most often those communities are housed, those communities are in poverty areas are normally mostly people of color, African-Americans, Native Americans, Latino Americans, so you get all of the people of color and you look at the community they live in, more often they are economically challenged or low-income communities. So these co-ops is a way of helping people come together, form businesses like we're talking with Shirley about, weatherization is something that needs to happen. Most co-ops that are formed are formed to solve some community problem. I have one gentleman on here that said if there's no community problem, there's no need for a co-op. There's no need for that particular business. Last week, what we talked about, Shirley, on the program was Cities Building Community Wealth. And this book that came out by Democracy Collaborative, and you could go on their webpage, democracycollaborative.org. I think it is org. I'll check that out at the next break. And you can get a copy of this book. But they looked at 20 cities. Austin, Boston, Burlington, Chicago, New York, Minneapolis, Philadelphia. I'm not going to name all of them. Mm -hmm. Seattle. But I noticed Buffalo is not here, and it sounds like you are doing some great things there. I noticed that Cincinnati is not here, and that's where we met. It seems like they're doing some great things. Right. So I got a sense that this is not a, a complete list of those cities that are helping normally the folks in the lower economic strata help to create businesses that create jobs and create wealth for them. This is financial wealth and social wealth. And like you said, it also gets into physical wealth because you, if, if, you, if, you, if you don't have drafts, it means that you can stay warm. And if you can stay warm, then you don't get sick. Also, you don't have a high of, of utility bill and that you can keep more money in your pocket. So you can get financial wealth by saving and you can get financial wealth by having uh, larger incomes. In this book, the first person they, they talk about was a lady in Brooklyn who was a maid, and she was, a, Christina was her name, but she was making $7 an hour, and by joining and forming a co-op for maid services, she was able to get 20 bucks an hour. That's three times. Right. Just by getting in business, helping to start the business, learning, as Shirley's talking about now, it takes time. And that's what you've got to put into it. And I had a gentleman, I was talking to him. He used to work for HUD, Dr. Bostic, and he's the head of research. And I was trying to get him to do some research, Shirley, about housing co-ops. The research I've read said they're so much better than apartment buildings for a whole bunch of reasons. And he's, the first thing he said to me was co-ops are not for everybody. And I didn't even say that, so I didn't know where he was coming from. But I, he's absolutely correct. You have to be willing to learn. You have to be willing to work. If you're willing to do those two things, then co-ops are for you. And, and you have a desire to live a better quality life. 
So that's what you're doing. I take it you and how many people are in your in this co-op or doing this training? Well, right now it's probably about six. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We started off with thirty people three years ago, probably thirty. Okay. People wanted to rush it, and people got anxious, and people just wanted to go do the job. But the way push and our trainers wanted us to know everything from the inside out. So people, of course, people fell off, and okay, some, just... wanted, some would like to come back once it started. You know, I think if they think it's a too long of a process, but I know that trying to uh, do all this, it takes a long process. It took me 20 years to get through college, so three years <laughs> ain't nothing to me. <laughs> but also, I wanted to ask you, what was the name of that book again? It's called... Um... Cities Building Community Wealth, and it's by Democracy Collaborative, and they're right here out of Maryland. And I'm looking at the book, trying to get the, yeah, it's democracycollaborative.org. Okay. And the lady there that's in charge of, if you want a copy, you could just call Violetta, V-I-O-L-E-T-A, Duncan, D-U-N-C-A-N. And her telephone number is 202-559-1473. She's at extension 109. Okay. All right. Thank you. So this is a, it's a great book. They just sent it to me. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple people on the program from, from Democracy Collaborative. So they sent me the book. I talked about it exclusively last week. They say that there are seven drivers... Uh, so I'm say this again for everybody in, out there, but they said there's seven drivers to this economic development, and the first one is a place. And they are saying that you you have to be it has to benefit local residents. Mm-hmm. Okay? Absolutely. Utilize local assets of many kinds and benefit local residents. So place is whatever community it is, low income communities we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Then the second one is ownership. Promote local broad-based ownership. That's the fundamental of striving local economy. That's cooperatives. And then there's this multiplier effect. And I learned this in the economic class first I heard about this, that in, in African-American communities or poverty communities, and normally the money only goes in, stays in a community one time. That's somebody goes out of a community, makes the money, and they go out of the community to spend the money. Yes, that was probably one of, that's one of our problems. Yep, that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. We're in affluent communities, normally comprised of majority Caucasians. The, the money turns six, seven, eight times in that community. So right. so somebody works in their community and they get paid. Yeah. Then they go to the local, they go to their local food store, or they go to their local cleaners, or they go mm-hmm. get their hair, hair done, or whatever, whatever, whatever. And then that person lives in the community, and they go do the same kinds of things, and that money just stays in that community seven, eight times. Right. Okay. They bank in their community, where in lower-income communities, the bank isn't there, the food store, they call them food deserts. There is no place you can go get your fresh vegetables and, and uh, fruits. So it comes into the community, and it goes out. Too often, and so you don't get this creating the wealth because of the multiplier. So, the, in this community wealth building, that's one of the things that's purposed that it is local residents, the business are in the local community, and encourage institutions to buy local strategies to help circulate this money. 
creating more and more wealth. And then the fourth one is collaboration. Bring many players to the table, nonprofits, philanthropists, anchors, and cities. And mm-hmm. Anchor institutions. Anchor institutions. And they, they show those in these different communities. Cleveland is the one I know most about. The Green. Yeah, uh, green Force, Green Work, Green. They have, they've created three co-ops. Uh, yes, uh-huh. but their co-op is from the hierarchy down. Ours is from ours is from the bottom up. Oh, I didn't understand that difference. Yes. Okay. So in this con- inclusion, the, the fifth one is that the aim is to create inclusion, living wage jobs that help all families enjoy economic security. Where they say that the the main metric in the traditional approach is that the governments are looking for creating more jobs. So that's the metric. They're not concerned about if they're good-paying jobs or not, just do they create more jobs. And they also don't consider, like when a Walmart comes in, that some when Walmart comes in, they may create some jobs. They're going to be low-paying jobs, and they're going to cause some other businesses to go out of business. Yes, 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 um, absolutely. Walmart is uh, big, and like we said, they don't create – they act like they create a lot of jobs, but they don't actually create a lot of jobs. Plus, they play low wages, and then they cut out the, the small businesses around them. They lose. And a lot of some cities that I've read and researched, they don't even let Walmart come in. And that I think that's a great thing. For a lot, for those reasons? Yes. It hurts the, the local economy. All of a sudden, Walmart's Mom in the... and pop stores. Yep. yep. All that kind of stuff. Yes, yes. And I think that's great, you know. And the fifth one, is the sixth uh, uh, part of their seven drivers is workforce. And this is that fifth principle. This is mainly what we've been talking about, link training to employment mm-hmm. and focus on the training for the jobs, uh, the people that have a lot of barriers to entry. So you want to make sure that people that have barriers to entry to jobs, African-Americans, Native Americans, Latino Americans, people of color, that you get them the training that they need for the job. And in the traditional way, they look at generalized training. So you train folks, but they don't train them for the job, so they still can't get jobs. They have training that is useless, and I, I think. Again, I call this just-in-time knowledge. And yes. then the seventh driver, uh, Shirley, is develop institutions and supporting ecosystems to create new normal or economic act- activity. So you get institutions, you get uh, the places like the push that you're talking about, you get, mm-hmm. you get different players in there, both people that will give grants and people that will give loans, uh, like the National Co-op Bank and the bank that you were talking about up in Buffalo that help these the co-ops get the capital they need, and well, you get the systems in place. But I can't say that they gave the, the co-op money, but maybe they did, the National Co-op Bank, but they have different places in Buffalo, like the Weedy Foundation and different agencies that will give you startup money. Even the SPA here will, will I don't know if they'll give you startup money, but that's what they say. Actually, we went to a meeting, MWBE, Minority Women's Business Education, or whatever, contract. Mm-hmm. And recently they just did a thing where they, they – um, going to come out and reach more people because when we went, I told them nobody understood what they was talking about. They laid out, they need a road map. The road map is you go here, you need a road map to look at. And so like when I was doing my 501c3, I had to go 
uh, to the SBA. I had to go to somebody else. I had to have somebody else do the amendments. I had to go to UB Law School. I had to, the, the system is too complicated. That's, that's but once right. They, they pull in the system and do a roadmap, it would be much easier for people to come in and do it. So one of the things at the meeting, and this was a New York State meeting, I said that nobody could understand it. And after the meeting, everybody came up to me and said, yeah, I, I can't understand what they're talking about. <laughs> okay. So, and, and the contracting and the bidding training um, is too complicated. So what I'd like to do once we get off the ground is to, like, centralize that so people will be able to understand what's going what's going on. I think that they, in their personal opinion, I think they keep it like that so people will understand what the heck is going on. So only a certain amount of people can get into the system. That may but, be a purpose, but I've also found out a lot of times the, the trainer maybe has not had the experience you've had or I've had in starting a business. They're out of school, they're younger, and they'll come out and give training, but it's all textbook training. It's not the training yeah. that you actually need. Yes. It's not giving it to you in a way that you can get it. Yeah. I'm not talking about the trainers. I'm talking about actual agencies. Okay. Agencies should provide technical assistance, and a lot of them do get paid for technical assistance, but unless you call and find them, you're not going to get it. So that's what I'm saying, make that applicable to people who are starting co-ops, people who are starting business. I mean, it's almost like pulling teeth. I, I totally agree with you. And that's just what we did, pull teeth. But because I had went through it before with my own business, my 501c3, Buffalo Urban Earth, that I kind of knew and I knew people that would kind of get us through, actually. Um, and some colleges with law schools actually do you a free business package. I know the University of Buffalo used to. They gave me a free business package. and they Shirley, we're going to have to take our final break. Okay. And it goes by real fast. We're going to have one more segment. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about this, this roadmap and going to SBA and what you can get from them. But we'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Fourteen fifty WOL. Information is power. The National Cooperative Bank is again sponsoring this program. The customers of NCB could be any cooperative, such as grocery wholesale co-ops, purchasing co-ops, or housing co-ops. Other customers share in the spirit of cooperation, driven by democratic organizing principles. They may be Alaskan or Native American enterprises which by their, by their very nature are member-run and member-controlled. Others may be community health centers or charter schools driven entirely by community needs. What they all have in common is a single fundamental principle. They have joined together cooperatively to meet personal, social, and or business needs. And normally, surely, create a community in a co-op. And that's what I heard you talking about when you were talking about the different training that you have, knowing about self and us and knowledge and doing things now is how you create this community so you can work together and solve problems together and get things done. So we've talked about a lot right now. You, you've been working and getting knowledge to create this weatherization co-op. You're doing your legal work now. Yes. What do you do next? What do you mean for the legal work? You no, know, after you after you get your legal work in place, you've got your legal framework, you've got your bylaws, you've got that going, then what do you do? We secure an office to uh, work out of. Okay. And push, the organization push is buying a school and 
prayerfully we will have an office in the school. They're redesigning schools, school 77 in Buffalo, and they're putting uh, living assistance housing up there, and they're putting um, offices, and they're putting uh, bicycles and daycares and all that in there. And school 77 have several garages, so we'll have garages to put our trucks in and our supplies in, and that should be done within, you know, the following this year. I mean, not this year because it's the end of the year, yeah. but, but it should be uh, completed by 2016. In the meantime, we have a few temporary offices and places where we can stay that are already part of the construction companies. Okay, so you have your office, you you have your your framework, your legal framework. Yes. Are you going to have to borrow any money, or are you getting grants, or how you what, how you going to get money to? Well, first of all, we did a fundraiser. We did a fundraiser at the Colored Musicians Club, the oldest Colored Musicians Club in the United States. We did a fundraiser there to put start putting money in our pot, and actually, we're doing twenty dollars a month the members, and then we're doing um, uh, the projects. We already did some projects. So out of the projects, I think everybody got paid $200, team leaders. So out, out of that, we requested that people put in kickback money, $50 or $100. And this is the second time that we did uh, government projects. And so people kicked back. So we're still planning some more fundraisers to add add money to our base, our seed money. So you're using the term kickback. I'm hearing you saying they're investing part of the money back into the business. Yes, okay. we are, the core group, and taking donations from any anger organization or taking donations from anybody. What about you? Well, are you a uh, 501c3? Are you a for-profit or non-profit? We're for-profit. Uh, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't give you any money. I wouldn't give you any money. I would only I give money to the Federation of Southern Co-ops. They're five hundred one C, and they're helping co-ops build. Oh, they dispense the money. I I hear you. And uh, I'm also giving money to, which is it's not a tax write-off, but the right. International Cooperative Alliance because they okay. do they go around the world and help build co-ops. Right. So my goal, just to answer you, my goal is promote co-ops, develop co-ops, create some preserve co-ops. I'm also I'm wanting to st- help to start a community college that does nothing but teach about co-ops, right, and we may wonderful. be doing that in Epps, Alabama, at, at the Federation. We're talking about working that out and doing that. And I'm also donating money to those ones I've just told you about, and I'm also looking mm-hmm. to donate money to the U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops. So I'm donating money to to people that are doing those things. That is mm-hmm. promoting and developing and training people in co-ops. Okay, well, that's good. That's, at least you're doing it. Yeah. But like I'm saying, like we trained the Buffalo State Continual Professional Studies Entrepreneurship Effectiveness. We did that for eight weeks. Then we did uh, uh, the MWBE and Small Business Contractor Bond Readiness Training Program, New York State Bonding Initiative and Model Contracting Development Program. And we are coming in as for profit, but we will have – uh, educational pieces, we will have training pieces, we will have, we're visioning a store that you could buy uh, our T-shirts, cups, and ink pens, and different stuff like that that people uh, buy to generate money for cooperative living expenses because we do have to, um, you know, we have to have money to function. That's absolutely correct. So uh, what I'm hearing you saying is you're doing your legal work, your bylaws, I guess you have uh, you have articles of incorporation. Articles you have an employee manual. Um, Not yet, but we are working on that. We do have that. We're working that, and our governance and our limited liability and 
We, that would probably, that would be the first thing. I don't have it right here, but we okay. do have an employee manual recruitment and who, who would be uh, interested and who would like to train and who would be a part of it and what you have to go through to be a part of it. You know? Have you got your tax ID number yet? No, we don't. That's, so, the yeah, easy, that's the easiest part of it. That's e- real easy to do. I'm so amazed. Yeah, yeah we probably can. But see, all push has people on staff that do this oh, kind of stuff. I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, so, I'm going uh, through yeah. this list of things because it's stuff that I've had to do, and I've had help other people. I'm trying to help the people out there that may be wanting to start a business. Look at the different kinds of things you have to do to get started. Uh, so that's why I'm asking you these questions. Um, yeah, the EIN. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have one for my old business, but we haven't. We didn't get one for our uh, cooperative, and I don't know if we will be using pushes EIN, so we might not have to submit none. The only the only thing is you can go online and get it in five minutes now. That, they make that very easy. Oh really? Yeah. Oh thank you, thank yeah. you. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, okay. I just did IRS and got on their web and said I want an EIN number. I'm buying a piece of property and we putting the LLC together and we need an EIN number for that and it it was so easy it wasn't funny anymore. Oh that was good. That's great. But SBA, if you go on the SBA web page and you click on starting a business. They talk about how you create your business plan, how you choose your business structure. That's the legal stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. How you register your business, both at, in here it would be at DC, uh, DCRA. Uh, no, see, we already had the meeting with the SBA. I know. And then it's, it's, so it's different pe- people you have to go to to register. Right. Obtain your business license and permits. Learn about business law. And I got to tell you, if it seems like now... I'm getting sued a lot in my property management business. Either a tenant is suing me, I'm suing You're them. Kidding. Oh no, yeah, I know. If I had known how much I needed in the law, I would have paid more attention in my law class. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. so it's always going back. And then another one is how you finance your business. How you then you look at exploring uh, different loans, grants, and business. This is all on SBA's webpage. Filing and paying taxes, that's critical. IRS likes to get their piece, and they like to get it on time. If you don't even file it on time, they, they, they'll they come back and penalize you. Yeah, you're 1099, I think it is. You know, choosing your location that you're talking about, where you're going to be, where you're going to set up, and mm-hmm. where you're going to have, what kind of equipment you need, and where you're going to store that equipment. And their final uh, link is hiring and training employees. And I get, and my I've been doing this in my business for 23 years. That the most important thing that you have to do is hire and train and employees. Mm-hmm. You hire the right ones. And, again, this is why worker co-ops work so well is because the workers, the employees, are the ones that's making the policies and the procedures, and you feel included, and your voice, you have voice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Voice, I think, is one of the top things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, because everybody doesn't have voice, and coming out of a slavery mentality, too often African Americans have not had voice for some time. Yes, yes, absolutely. And learning how to have voice and how to utilize that voice so that you can make informed decisions is critical, and a lot of a lot of us don't know how to do that. Right, absolutely. Uh, make informed decisions. Yep. And speak up, speak up for yourself. Speak up, speak up, and speak out. Sure. <laughs> We only have a couple more minutes left, so what would you like to tell people in this last minute or so? What words of wisdom do you have for people? 
well, one of the things I could say, all I could say is raise the bar. And we always, our call is always looking to, always working to have higher standards of work. We are confident and we are continually working for new ways to improve and, and rebuild and build efficient, affordable, sustainable energy to provide for better cleaning living conditions for all communities in, in the United States and in the world. And we take great pride in it. And I wish others would also. So when you say raise the bar, that's that's with efficiencies, effectiveness, having a great product that works for everybody at a price that people can afford or pay. So that's raising the bar. And it's also getting the training you need to do all that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Comes back to the training. Putting things together. That comes back to putting things together, make things work together, train, educate yourself. We also have an educational piece in our um, core, whether weatherization co-op we once we uh do the weatherization we have an educational piece or and even before that we will be doing technical training to educate people on weatherization and green uh efficiency and how uh, things work and how they can educate other people and we do a follow-up um to come back and see how everybody is doing and do additional work and with the membership Depending on the price, we will offer free services to people who already we already work with, and also open membership if people are interested in joining recruitment. So, what you've talked a lot about is concern for the community, and that's the seventh principle. Uh, yes. How your how your product will help the community you live in in Buffalo, but also in the U.S. and then the world in yes, our whole absolutely. galaxy. Shirley, thank you so much for being on, and I I think I know the answer to this question. You really like what you're doing, huh? I love it. Okay. <laughs> I love it. This is the best thing I've ever done in my life, and I'm 69 years old. Oh, no way. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm 68, on my way to 69. Have a great day. We're You're all. Close to me. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll see everybody next Thursday. And at 69, she's starting a new business. Have a great, great week. Keep in touch. Thank you. Thank you. 1450 WOL.